0: Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is Brain Board." Brain Board, And here's what I wonder, um, I wonder if you have accidentally ever talked yourself out of something that you were excited about in a matter of minutes, right? It was something you've been thinking about, you were excited about, you wanted to do it, and the moment came, and in a matter of like 30 seconds to two minutes, you talked yourself out of something you've been looking forward to for a really long time. Anybody have this amazing gift? Like your brain can just immediately like, you can go from like, I can't wait to do this to there's no way I can do this. And you're like, how did that happen so quickly? This happens in my head, you know, where you're just like, all right, I can do this. Here we go. But what if I can't? You know, what if if it doesn't work? You know, what if I end up hating it? What if other people end up hating it? What if other people end up hating me? Okay, I don't know if I can take that. What if this ends up costing more than I was anticipating, and then I end up going broke, and then I'm in all this debt? What if my life, my entire existence falls apart because of this choice? You know what? I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And everybody around you is just like, Just pick an ice cream flavor, okay? We are waiting for you. Why? Why deliberating so much? You came in, you were going to try the new flavor of the day. And you're like, I know, but I don't know if I want a honeysuckle sunflower surprise. I don't know if I'm that kind of a guy, you know? Um, There are weird flavors now. Can we just admit that to ourselves? Why why is lavender and everything all of a sudden? I thought that was for lotion. Um, Now, obviously... You know, your thing, whatever that thing is, is probably a bigger thing or more important thing than sort of a small decision about um, a flavor of ice cream or what you're gonna do for lunch later. But I I find that, like, when we feel like giving up in life, when we hit a wall, uh, what we often encounter is a lot of current cultural wisdom that says, just think and be positive. And maybe for some of us, we really do need to do that. But here's what I've also realized. Too much positivity produces stupidity. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but this is true. This is the way it works. We all know people who have suffered from this, people who had this sort of idea there's this thing they wanted to do and they were like, I'm gonna do it and they thought it was easier than it actually was and they jumped all in and they overestimated their skill set and they, you know, reality eventually sunk in and the whole thing ended up collapsing around them. And if you were watching that situation from a distance, you probably had this thought of like, okay, you know, maybe balance some of that positivity with, you know, reality. Maybe, maybe sort of, you know, teeter-totter those things together. And here is the reason why this becomes such a problem for us in life, is that if there is a, a big mismatch between our expectations and our reality, What happens inside of us is our brain panics. It oftentimes overcorrects and it ultimately derails us. And it does this in a couple different ways. Like if we come into a situation and we are sort of mentally preparing for the worst case scenario, what can happen is we get so negative in our own sort of internal world that our brain drops into sort of what's the point mode and we're just like what's the point? You know, it's just going to it's all going to cave in. It's I'm never going to succeed. I'm never going to be able to do it. And we end up feeling so doomed before we even start that we don't in, even end up starting. And that ends up being sort of the barrier to us getting going or even succeeding. On the flip side, if we're always mentally framing things as the best case scenario, like it's probably going to go great. I'm going to be awesome. I get I can do this, right? Then what can happen is we can become overly confident. And we don't properly prepare. We don't really heed the warnings that we most likely should. And we end up coming out hot and burning out quick because we hit barriers that we didn't anticipate. And here is the reality. We all, all of us in here, have both of these voices in our head. But we all also tend to listen to one more than the other. Um, Not because it's what's best for us, but because it's the loudest and most persistent Inside of us. And the reason this happens is because our brain takes in so much information on a constant basis uh, that uh, it all sort of arrives to your mental control center as all of these different voices. And they're all debating in your mind, they're they're demanding to be heard, and they're insisting that you take their side. It's chaos up here. Um, Whether you uh, have ever realized this or wanted to admit it to other people, You have voices inside your head. And some of you are like, some of you, one of those voices is like, good, we're not crazy. And another voice is like, we probably still are, right? You're like, oh man, I don't know what to do with this information. Now maybe as you're hearing this, like sort of all of these voices in the command center of your mind, maybe some of you uh, like me are are very cultured and you're like, this kind of sounds like that Pixar movie, Inside Out. And the reason it might sound like that is because that is, that is actually pretty accurate when it comes to giving us a picture of how our brains actually work. Um, if you've never seen this movie, the command center of the main character's mind is populated by these characters here, these car- sort of cartoon representations of these different voices in her head that are looking at life through a particular perspective. They have an angle or a slant to the voice But they're all pieces of her, and they're all sort of arguing, debating with each other, and wrestling over the the controls of this girl, the main character's life, because they want to get to control her reactions. And so what she does depends on who is calling the shots. Like, what voice is dictating her actions at the moment? Now, when you think about this, I wonder if you have ever had uh, a moment where you just slowed down And reflected, and it sort of seemed like maybe there are different parts of you or different various voices in your life that are calling the shots at different moments in your life. Sometimes you feel crazy, right? Because you feel like one moment, this thing is sort of calling the shots, and then two days later, this other thing is calling the shots, And it's all parts of you, it's integrated inside of you, but these voices are conflicting in terms of what they tell you to do. This is a normal human phenomenon. In fact, there is this psychologist who has uh, a Polish name that I'll never be able to pronounce no matter how many times I practice in my office, and so I won't. Um, But what she found in her research is that most people have at least five voices that are integrated into their self-talk. And her and her research team began to give names to the most common of these five. And I want to just tell you what they are because I think there's a good chance, at least statistically so, that you have each of these five or a version of them that are a part of the mental control station in your mind that are voicing your thoughts to you. The first one that that the team identified was what they call the faithful friend, the faithful friend. And uh, essentially, the faithful friend says this. uh, They say, like, you know, achieving things doesn't really matter. Just focus on who you love and who loves you and who you care about and who cares about you. That's what life is really all about. Another voice they identified is what they call the ambivalent parent, who essentially says, like, if you want people to like you, you may want to address this thing about you. And some of you are like, yep, that does sound like my parent. Uh, absolutely. Another voice they identified was what they called the proud rival, which essentially is this voice that says, listen, what you're doing is okay. And I mean just okay. Like you could be a lot better and you should be a lot better. So, you know, you need to work harder and not settle in your life. The fourth voice is what they called the calm optimist, who is this voice in your head that's like, take a deep breath, you're fine. It's no big deal. Everything works out in the long run. We're going to be okay. And then there's this fifth voice they identify, which they call the helpless child, which is the voice that's like, everything is out of control, and there is nothing you can do about it, and you are trapped, and everything is going to be this way forever. Now, as we're reading through these, um, it's real quiet in here because some of you are just like, oh, no. No. These are the voices in my head, and yet some of them are strangely quiet. That's because one or more of these voices may have uh, duct taped the mouths of the other ones (laughs) and sort of like shoved them in the corner, and this is why for some of us, the, the dialogue inside of our minds is like really lopsided. It's skewed in one particular direction that's not always super helpful. I like to think of of these different voices that exist inside of my mind and exist inside of yours as our brain board. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the discussion inside of my head with these voices is very reasonable and civil, and sometimes it feels like a full-on bar fight up there. People are breaking chairs and glasses and shiving each other. It's crazy. And I am trying to get a hold of it But sometimes it feels like it's almost impossible. And the higher the stakes are in the situation that you're facing, um, the louder certain voices shout, trying to get you to adopt their perspective and act accordingly. And so I think the big question is, especially when it comes to resilience, how do you know which voice to listen to? If you have these voices rolling around inside of your mind, How do you know which one to lean into, which one to listen to, which one is the right one to advise you in this moment? I know some of you are very churchy, you've been around for a long time, you're like, that's easy, just do what the Bible says. And I think that's great advice. But my question is, which part? Because the Bible says a lot of things. Like in Philippians, we are told to fix our thoughts on what is honorable and lovely and worthy of praise, which sounds a lot like, just be positive, which is sort of the voice of the calm optimist. But then Jesus says in the book of Luke that none of us should begin anything without counting the cost, right? Otherwise, this is a direct quote, you may only get half done and everyone will laugh at you. (laughs) Right, and this is sort of, to me, it doesn't feel very praiseworthy. It sounds like Jesus being like, don't be an idiot, think things through, which sounds a lot like the ambivalent parent. And then if you flip over to 1 Corinthians, Paul basically says, listen, don't worry about it. He's almost channeling the voice of the faithful friend. He, he, he says essentially in these build-up verses uh, to a description of what love is about, that like, if you were the smartest, most successful, highest-achieving person that you can imagine, but you didn't love other people well, your life would be hollow. And that is a great point. But also the same guy says in the book of Philippians, that he is going to, and he thinks the purpose of his life is to press on towards the prize of perfection and win the race of his life, which sounds a lot like a proud rival advising him. And then in Ecclesiastes, we're told, you know, like, why would you want to press on to the prize? Because everything is meaningless. Everyone's running in circles. Like, no matter what you achieve, you're never going to be satisfied. And no one, no matter what you do, nobody's even going to remember you when you die anyway which sounds a lot like the helpless child. And here's the point I want to make. These are all in the Bible. And so which are good voices and which are bad? And here's why I think sort of oversimplified binary thinking can really get in our way. I wonder, like, what if which of these voices are good and which are bad is the wrong question. What if each of these voices is needed and necessary? What if it's more a matter of learning what to listen to when? I think this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where he tells us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It's almost like the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us, listen, you are not each individual voice at the brain board, sitting at the brain board table in your mind. You are the chair of the board. You, your job is to mediate the board. Your job is to be like, hey, we haven't heard from you in a little bit. Why don't you speak up? Hey, shut your mouth over here, okay? <laughs> like, this is essentially what you need to do. And, and you want to be the type of mediator that actually reflects Christ, the type of mediator who knows how to cue which voices at which moments in the way that Jesus would and did inside of his own mind. In other words, mediate the conversation in your mind by amplifying whatever voice will cause you to act most like Jesus. This is how we gain control of our inner dialogue, is to realize that you are not your thoughts. There are all these different little cartoon characters in your mind that have a purpose but sometimes speak when it's not their turn in ways that are not helpful. And I would tell you that to do this, to actually learn to mediate the conversation in your mind by amplifying the voice that will cause you to act like Christ in the moment, that's a really hard thing to do. A lot of people wrestle with this their entire lives. And so how do we do it? I wanna wanna sort of point out the, the wrestling match that takes place inside of all of us by looking at a specific character. It's the one we've been following since the beginning of this series. Uh, this guy in the book of Judges named Gideon. And his inner dialogue, if you're paying attention to the story, it drives every plot point. Like what's happening in his mind and the thoughts and the voices that he's amplifying in the moment are steering his every action. And that becomes a domino effect in terms of what he does. And what he triggers the people around him to do. And maybe you're wondering, like, well, how do you know what he's thinking? And that's a good question. Because we really only have access to his conversations with other people, which we're going to highlight. But Jesus claimed that whatever comes out of your mouth is a result of whatever's rattling around in your heart and in your mind. In other words, like, your internal discussions determine your external conversations. Like, if you're ever having a conversation with somebody, the content of what is coming out of them is really just an echo of whatever voice they have given the floor to inside of their own head. And so when we look at the conversations that Gideon is having with other people inside of this story, we get a glimpse of what's actually going on in the interior of his mind. At the very beginning of the story, In case you weren't here or you're just like, I have slept since then, so I don't remember. I need a recap. God tells Gideon, he sort of appears to him in the form of an angel, and he tells Gideon that he has a vision for his life. He has something significant for him to do. He wants Gideon to free his people um, from the oppression that they're in. And Gideon is, like, nervous about it, and God uh, tells him, like, "Just, just use the strength that you have And take the next step, followed by the next step, followed by the next step, as I strengthen you every single step of the way. And so Gideon does this, and God provides Gideon with these warriors and then trims all the warriors down, like not their weight, but like the number of warriors that they had. And now he is going up to fight this massive army with a remainder of only 300 people. And all this preparation has taken place, and the time we are at in the story is where it's now time to fight for Gideon to actually do the thing that he's been preparing for all along. And that's the toughest part, right? Because we all have moments where we, uh, or things in our life where, uh, you know, man, I've been preparing for this for five years. I was supposed to do it two years ago, but I just keep preparing and delaying when I'm actually going to do it because I'm nervous to actually step out and make it happen. And this is sort of the place that Gideon finds himself in, but it is time. We pick up the story in Judges chapter 7, verse 9. It says this, That night, the Lord said, get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid, go down to the camp and listen to what the Midianites are saying, and then you'll be eager to attack. Now, God has been trying to get get Gideon to do this thing for a really long time. He gives him an order. I want you to do this. And then immediately backpedals and says, you know what, if you're afraid, here's something that you can do. Why would God do that? Like, why does God give Gideon something to do in case Gideon is afraid of doing the first thing that God has asked him to do? And the reason is because God knows the inner workings of the brain board in Gideon's mind. He knows the conversations that take place inside of his head. But what stands out to me is, Does God shame Gideon for feeling afraid? No. He gives him a strategy to address his fear. Because this is who God is. God doesn't give us something to do that's easy, because then why would we need him? And what would be fulfilling about our existence? God gives us something that is difficult to do that can only be done through him, with him. And oftentimes that thing is challenging and frightening, And yet God still wants us to follow him through it. And yet he doesn't shame us for feeling shaky in that moment. He gives us strategies to wrestle through our fear so we can get to the other side. And that's what is happening here. And so Gideon actually decides that he's going to take this advice. Uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 11 says this. So Gideon took his servant and he went down to the edge of the enemy camp. And their armies and the people had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, way too many to count. So Gideon does what God tells him to do to face his fear, but he's still afraid. In fact, um, as you're looking at this, verse 12 here is really just his inner voice, one of his inner voices exaggerating what he's up against. Because the voice of fear in your head always skews everything in its direction. All the voices do, right? Um, There's no sense making you a little bit afraid. It has to supersize it so it will win you over to its argument. And that's what's happening here. Like the language is so dramatic and big and blown out of proportion. This is... Not just a, this isn't really a factual statement from the narrator. This is giving you insight into how Gideon sees these people in the situation that he's in the midst of. Even as he is taking the first step, sneaking up to the edge of this camp, he's afraid every single step of the way. With every step he takes, he's a little shaky. And that's because courage is not the absence of fear. It's choosing to take the right action in the presence of fear. I think sometimes we look at people that are incredibly courageous, whether they're people in scripture or just people in our lives or people we look up to and we're like, man, how did they kill the fear within them? And here's the secret, they didn't, it's still there. It's still in their mind. Like it's still yelling at them and trying to argue its case. What they are doing is taking the right action despite the jabbering of the fear voice in their mind. There's this uh, meme that, getting passed around the internet a couple years ago, but it gets still floating out there, and it's maybe you've seen it. It's like fear and faith can't occupy the same heart at the same time, and I just want you to know if you see that meme, um, just thumbs down it because I disagree. <laughs> I, it bugs me every single time. I disagree, and so does Scripture, and so does science, and so does Pixar. Okay, we're all on the same page. Because what's real is that fear and faith are both voices fighting for control of the command button of your actions. You may only be able to obey one of those voices at a time, but both are going to be talking. And part of the way that you correct a voice in your head is you you do the thing that it's telling you you cannot do. In Judges chapter 7, as we continue on, It says that Gideon, verse 13, Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. And he said, in my dream, a loaf of barley bread. This is amazing already, right? (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, This guy's having the same kind of dreams I am. Um, In my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent and flipped it and knocked it flat. And this guy's my favorite in the whole story. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given the Israelites victory over Midian. Now, for, I mean, some of this I disagree with. I just want you to know, like, first of all, who hasn't had that dream? Okay, like, we've all had the dream with the bread boulder and whatever. I mean, it's like, it's a classic, right? Secondly, the, what the guy says is hilarious because it's so narrow-minded. Because in reality, there are a million ways you could interpret this dream. It's a weird dream. And a lot of times we want like the one right perspective on a certain thing, and that is often really difficult to find, especially when you're talking about dreams or thoughts or mentalities, because this is the thing with interpretations. They have to pass through the filter of a person. Dreams are more subjective than objective, but what I want you to see in this story is it doesn't really matter what the dream means. It matters what these two soldiers that Gideon is listening to think it means, and it makes them afraid. And why are they interpreting this dream, which could have multiple interpretations, through a fearful lens? Because that's what the loudest voice on their brain board is telling them at the moment, and they buy in. And when Gideon sees this, he realizes, like, wait, I think they actually might be more afraid of us than we are of them. And he gets all psyched up. And suddenly, like, the voice of fear in his own mind, he's like, shh, and he starts summoning different parts of himself. It says this in verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and this interpretation, he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up! For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. And everyone gets all excited. And one thing I love about this is Gideon says this, like he just learned this information. And they all respond like it's the first time they've heard it. And they're like, yeah, we can do it. But here's the crazy thing. Everyone in this story has been told all of this before. Multiple times. But now they're like, wait a minute. You ever have these moments in your own life? I mean, if you're a parent, you definitely have this with your kids. Right? Where they're just like, you will never guess what my friend's mom just told me. Oh, and they tell you a thing. And you're like, that's so great. And then you go in your room and you're like, I've been telling you that since you were eight, you little brat. <laughs> that was my idea. Okay? In fact, I taught it to that lady. <laughs> so annoying. But you just got to let it go. And... and, and let me just show you some examples, like just to prove that these people already knew this information. We are in Judges seven, verse fifteen. If you go back to Judges chapter seven, verse seven, it says this: The Lord told Gideon, "With these three hundred men, I will give you victory over the Midianites." Back up to chapter six, Judges six, sixteen. This is the beginning of the story. The Lord said, "I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting only one man." Not new information. And here's why there's a discrepancy here. There is a big difference between knowing something and believing it. <clears throat> Somebody can tell you something a million different times, but there's something different that happens when it clicks in your soul and you're like, wait a minute. There may be something to that. I'm actually going, and how do you know if you believe in something? You begin to act upon it. If you just like are like, yeah, I believe that, but there's no action You don't believe it. You wish you believed it. Our beliefs are played out in our behavior. And that's what begins to set the stage here. This may be the 50th time these people heard this, but it was the first time they allowed themselves to believe it was true. And that voice suddenly became louder than anything else. It overpowered any objections or observations or obstacles in their mind. It was as if God in this moment made it really clear which voice in their head was speaking on his behalf in this particular moment. And this is what it is to manage your brain board well. Because God leverages the existing voices in your mind to steer your life and help you do what you need to do. But if you're not even aware that they exist and what they're saying, if you're not even aware of who God is and what God wants for you, it's difficult to define or determine or discern which one is speaking on his behalf at this moment. And this is work. And one wisdom writer says this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. And a lot of times this verse is read as if it is you know, having to do with something romantic, which is fine, but that's not really what's going on here. Um, in the Jewish mindset, heart is a word picture for the base of your belief system, for the the home inside of yourself, for your core values, the statements and voices that you give priority to. Essentially, what we're being told in this proverb, especially in conjunction with this story, is that how you handle adversity is a reflection of what you say to yourself most frequently. And for some of us, the reason why we have trouble moving forward is because we have silenced certain voices in our mind that are actually trying to help us move forward, and we have given the floor to voices that are actively shutting us down. It's not that all of these voices don't have a place in your mind. It's that you are giving the microphone To the one who doesn't deserve it in the moment. And that is steering your ability to be resilient in the here and now. So I think the big question is, how how do we do this? How how do we guard our hearts? And I want to just give you um, three really practical um, tools um, in in terms of putting this into practice in your own life. And the first thing I would tell you is, is this. To amplify the voice that brings you balance, to amplify the voice that brings you balance. Again, we can assume that like, man, if I just turn up the volume on whatever voice is most positive and just affirming and encouraging, I'll always live my best life. And that is not necessarily true because here's the reality. Your brain will not buy into false vibrato. Like maybe you've realized this. You can't trick yourself with a pep talk that's not true. Because what, you're, what anytime you're, you tell yourself something, immediately another part of your brain is like, we need, we need evidence for that. And it starts looking around, right? This is why if you're just like, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling good about myself today. And you're just like, you are the sexiest man alive. <laughs> and another part of your brain is like, I don't know, we can see ourselves right now. So, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I've looked him up online, and, um, you know, it's Ant-Man. So, I mean, that's not me. (laughs) Right? Like, your brain refuses to believe anything it can't find evidence for. And so you can't just sort of, like, steamroll yourself on the inside. And, again, this, we sort of, we think of this as, like, a, um, a religious or like a God-centered trait of just like anytime time you're just like, I don't know about this, or I'm feeling bummed about this, or I'm, I'm feeling like this is gonna get in my way, we're just like, just steamroll it with positivity. But here's what I find interesting. I wonder if you know this. One of my favorite stories is Jesus yelling at Peter for trying to be too positive. It's in Matthew chapter 16. And basically Jesus tells his followers that he is gonna be tortured and killed for his belief. And Peter pulls him aside. He's like, don't say that. Don't you dare sit. That won't, we won't let it happen. Don't be so negative, Jesus. And Jesus fires back, shut up, Satan. (laughs) Wow, aggressive. He's just like, I know you're just trying to be positive, but you are ignoring the reality of the road ahead and it's gonna get both of us into trouble. And what Jesus wants us to see, I think in this exchange here, is that toxic positivity is not faith. This is not what God is is telling us to lean into. God wants us to look at the reality of the situation, to see ourselves and our circumstances realistically, to believe in the power of God and to take step-by-step action towards him. That's what God wants us to do. Not lie to ourselves to try and trick ourselves into doing something that your brain is too smart for. This is not what God is hoping for inside of your mind. Uh, Philosopher Alan DeBoten says this, that a good internal voice is like a genuinely decent judge, someone who can separate good from bad, but will always be merciful, fair, accurate in understanding what's going on and interested most in helping us deal with our problems. In other words, sort of what what he is bringing clarity to is what all of this is pointing to is if you're trying to figure out what to, how to mediate in in the conversation in your mind, amplify an inner voice, not because it's optimistic, but because it's helpful because listening to and acting on it right now is going to help you be more like Jesus. And depending on where the out the, uh, the imbalances are in your own mind, that determines which voice you need to turn up the volume on. Some of us, we, uh, we do need some more positivity in our life because we are so Debbie Downer, right? We are amplifying the voices that just like beat us up and tell us like, you better think of all the possibilities. Things may not work out. Even if you do a good job, nobody's gonna remember you in 10 years anyway. And we do need to turn up the volume on the voice that's just like, you know what? But this is what you're called to do. You should go out there and do it. Who cares what other people think, right? You need more of that voice. Others of us, though, we're in a different boat. We are overly confident in a way that needs to be corrected. And that's what Jesus wants for us. We're just like, I can do whatever I want to. I'm going to be a YouTube star tomorrow. I don't need to get a real job. And you probably need more of the other voice, the ambivalent parent that's just like, you know what? You're not that great. Uh, Just to let you know, I love you because you're mine. But you know what? You just need to, like, do some real stuff. Maybe you press on towards the prize of perfection a little bit. Uh, because I, I know you think so, but what I'm looking at, not perfect. Not even close. Especially according to what you're projecting right here. You need a little bit more of another voice at the table. The second thing I would suggest is this. Move the right inside voice out. Move the right inside voice out. And well, you've seen athletes do this, right, where they're, like, they give themselves a pep talk. Out loud between plays. And you're like, are they talking to somebody else or themselves? And they're talking to themselves. They're like, come on, Trevor. You can do it. Gosh, what are you doing? Lace us out. Everyone knows that. (laughs) And what they're doing is they're trying to push through a difficult thing and be their best by overriding an unhelpful internal voice with a helpful external voice. Because sometimes, like, everything that's going on in your mind, you can't get control inside and so you actually have to use outside inputs to control what's happening on the inside. But you can do it with your own voice, not just other people's voices. Like one of the ways that you could do this is just like a simple um, sort of like outer voice meditation. It's going to feel weird. But it's just to like put your hand on your heart just as a way of like comforting yourself. You can pat if you want to, okay? Okay. Um, and just like when all that fear is coming out just like listen i know that you are freaked out and afraid right now but you're going to make it what you're facing is scary so you have a right to be scared that's understandable nobody's frustrated about that but here's the reality like even if this doesn't go your way you're going to be okay you have people that love you and care about you no matter what you do in there, whatever it is you're about to achieve or try and go after. Take a deep breath. You, you can do this. And what, what this is doing is really taking one of those internal voices that you need to correct another of the internal voices and pulling it out of your brain and putting it into your own mouth. What is so interesting is research actually shows that... Um, like you can, you, you can overpower what is happening in your mind with what you say out loud if it's aligned with reality, right? You are not telling yourself things that are not true. You're telling yourself the truth that you need to hear to counterbalance yourself in the moment. And sometimes it's a matter of taking the right voice and pulling it out as opposed to a lot what a lot of us do, which is we vent to the people around us and we just give the microphone to whatever voice is just continuing to beat us up. And it's not helpful. The third tip I would give you is this. Become an observer by shifting into third person. Like when we are really closely emotionally involved in something, it's tough to think clearly because we're too self-immersed. But research shows that using second or third person language when talking to yourself can create enough psychological distance to give you the ability to think about your situation more objectively. It's called self-distancing. Um, and so what this might look like is instead of saying like, well, you know what? I, I hate that my wife didn't make what I wanted for dinner, even though I told her she didn't respect me. And our relationship is basically garbage. Right? Instead of doing that, you might say like, hmm, Adam was really caught off guard there uh, <laughs> when he didn't get what he wanted from Gretchen. And she seemed surprised by that. In sort of watching the situation, I wonder what he is actually worked up about. It can't be dinner, because nobody freaks out about dinner. That's stupid. He's being kind of immature. I wonder why he's doing that. I wonder what sort of incorrect conclusions he's jumping to inside of his mind. I wonder how he's going to respond to this. I wonder like what would get him the overall best outcome in this situation. The reason this helps is because we are horrible at giving ourselves advice, but we're great at giving advice to other people. Because we're, we're zoomed out of the situation. And when you can do that for yourself and see yourself as a character in a story, you're able to get perspective and give yourself advice as if you were giving a friend advice. It helps you to highlight the voice that's actually going to be most helpful to you in that moment. And maybe you're noticing like all this is going to take some work. If you're not used to this or you've never heard this before, if you've never tried any of these things before, like this is gonna take some practice to get good at, like anything in life. You are going to have to actively guard your heart by learning to listen to yourself, to slow down, to identify the various voices inside you that are contributing to the conversation in your head and practicing zooming out and hosting a conversation between them all and asking yourself like which one might God be using in this moment to bring me balance? It's work to take your thoughts captive by bringing that, that inside voice out that is gonna help you most in that moment and echoing God's wisdom to yourself in a way that will help you move forward. But I'll tell you this, just like Gideon's story, just like, it's just a reflection of everyone's story. What you do is very powerful, But what you think is what is steering what you do. And you are not your thoughts. If you are able to see your brain board for what it is, a bunch of different parts of yourself trying to help you make a decision. If you objectively sit back and through the lens of Jesus begin to determine which one to listen to at that moment for the purpose of becoming like Christ, You will renew your mind. You will take your thoughts captive. You will become more resilient and become more of the person God has always intended you to be. So here's a place to start because you're going to need somewhere. And here's my suggestion. I would say, try this thing. To sit down with somebody and and maybe list out the reasons that you made it through an uh, overwhelming situation before. And then save it. Save it because you may not need it now, but... But when you hit a wall in the future, read it back to yourself. So again, a way of just amplifying the voice that may be too weak to speak in the moment. Put that voice on record when you're strong so that you can revisit it when you're weak because you're gonna need it. You're gonna need to be reminded that God is with you and that you can push through. I wanna pray this into your life today. Would you bow your heads across this room? God, I'm so grateful for your presence in each of our lives. We know that even when we're not aware that you are with us, you are with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And God, there are moments in which we have a clear picture of what you want us to do and where you want us to go, but we can't seem to move in that direction, we're we're frozen in place. There's something that's preventing us from taking the actions that you are inspiring us towards, even though they're really small baby steps, because there is this overwhelming thought pattern, this voice that keeps telling us that we can't do it, that we can't push through it, that we can't overcome it. Or maybe it's a voice that's telling us like, "You, you got this, and so we don't prepare. And we don't don't think about how long it's going to take for us to achieve what God has for us. And, And God, you are wanting to help us through your Holy Spirit manage and mediate our brain board better so that we can approach our life with realism, counterbalanced with the strength of your spirit and the leading of your spirit to move forward step by step step. God, help us not to demonize these voices in our mind, but to see the benefit each brings to the board and to know when to give which the floor in order to find your voice for our situation right now. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.